This is the Negro League Podcast with Preach Jacobs. do to compete you know? <laughs> let's see if you speak a little bit louder and I hello think... hello yeah, hello yeah I think we're good. this is me i think we're good because everything's gonna be post-production anyways so okay all right, <laughs> all right. <clears throat> one two one two ladies and gentlemen thank you once again for listening to the negro league podcast i go by the name of preach jacobs we are back in this motherfucker motherfucker and you can save 10 percent on your order at mobetasoul.bigcartel.com punch in the code negro Save 10%. We got some hoodies. We got some t-shirts. We got stickers, all this other cool stuff. Please help, uh, you know, because I'm broke. So <laughs> other than that, other than that, you know, if you like the stuff, get it. If you don't like it, I don't want you to buy it because you don't, you know, you're trying to do me a favor. But it's really cool stuff. Really appreciate it. And we actually, um, man, this is three weeks in a row that I've actually had a chance to talk to people. Yes. It's usually this podcast is me just talking by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a special guest. Please introduce yourself to our Two listeners. <laughs> hey, preach. Hey, preach's mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited to be on the show. My name is Shiggy Kobayashi. I am uh, here in this town. I I run Came On Japanese Restaurant, mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of the Negro League podcast. Oh my god, subscriber, so and I listen every episode. And, uh, look out for it on uh, what usually Sunday nights, Monday Mondays. And I might have to apologize because like every week when I do a new episode, like I text it to you. You're like, dude, <laughs> would you please stop sending this to me? How do you act like I don't subscribe to this? So I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, happy uh, King Day by the yeah, way. Yeah, happy I, King Day. So when I guess when people hear this, I'm, I'm gonna put it out tomorrow. This is okay. uh, MLK uh, weekend. So what did you do for your King Day? Um, I didn't do a whole lot for my for my King Day weekend. Um, I don't mean to be such a preach fanboy here but uh, uh yesterday i went to the screening at the nickelodeon for within our gates ah yes, amazing yes. film um and you did the scoring for that and that was nice it was good to see that well i had a good time i, I want to figure out a way because i think there's a way that i can probably package it and film it again because there were a couple of parts where i messed up and like and here's a here's like a rule to all the artists that's out there if you're ever performing if you're djing or if you're a photographer doing like a wedding someone told me this a long time ago Mm-hmm. When I was shooting weddings, because this is like back in the days where we had to shoot film, mm-hmm. and I was really terrified about like you know a wedding is one of those things that scared me the most because if something messes up, especially with film, you really can't do that over again. Like if you're mm-hmm. shooting a model and it doesn't work out, you can just tell her, hey, let's, check, let's catch back up next week. You can do a you know, reshoot. Yeah, right. you can't you can't call all the guests and say, hey, y'all want to come back and do this <laughs> shit again? You know. So my friend, as a photographer, she said this to me. She said, all you do. Is that when you print the pictures out, put them in a photo album, smile and hand it to them. Because as soon as you show that you're insecure about something, all of a sudden they become experts. You know, if I'm like, you know, they didn't right. come out exactly the way I wanted to, all of a sudden they're going to be like, well, the lighting on this one ain't good. You know, so so when I was scoring the film uh, yesterday, um, within our gates, if you guys want to want to watch it, it's in the was it the Library of Congress. It's like one of the. I believe um, so. Okay, yeah. so that's that's the website that I saw it on. So it's it's free. So this is like public domain now. But the funny thing was, I had it synced to a certain way, and the way it was on the website, there was like an extra screen on there that just threw my syncing off. 
And so I was freaking out. <laughs> but and the funny thing was like our friend Deb, she told me, because I was telling her about the sinking thing. She was uh-huh. like, look, if we gotta restart it over again, like you can stop this bitch and tell him to start it over again. I don't care. And like I didn't want to be that guy. So I was just like, let me try to figure it out. No, um, you worked it out. It was great. Nobody yeah. noticed it. And that was the thing about it. It's like, you know, just smile because like, you know, if something's wrong, like let's be honest, it was my first time doing it they don't know if I intended to turn the music down at that time. You know what I mean? So right. you just kind of fake it till you make it. So, yeah. So, yeah, thank you for coming I, out to that. Yeah, I really like that film. I thought it was, um, I thought it was made in the 20s, yeah, I 19, believe. 1919, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And was the filmmaker black as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, do you know the story behind Birth of a Nation? Not completely, no. Um, well, as a director, Griffith, uh, basically, Birth of a Nation was a film that came out, I think it was like 1914. And it was a movie that was kind of like, hey, in the South, the worst thing that happened in the South was um, emancipation. And so in the film, in the, yeah, exactly, right? The film was basically like, oh, you know, after emancipation, all these ex-slaves, they're going to run rampant and they're going to rape, rape white women. And so there's like these, these scenes where it's like white people with black, uh, black face makeup to try to pretend like they're black folks. And it's right. just this terrible film. Uh-huh. And the worst part about it, the heroes of the movie... It's the Ku Klux Klan. Like they saved the day. Like they saved white women from being attacked by oh, no. by, by by ex-slaves. And it was the first film shown at the White House. And President Wilson said, his quote was, I think I said this at the talk back, his quote was, It's like writing history with lightning. And the worst part about it is it's also true. And so Yikes. within our gates was kind of a response to that to be able to say, you know this is a representation of black folks that's been stereotyped and, and the, the, the scene at the end, and I hope we're not going to spoiler alert. The movie's about a hundred years if you ain't seen it yet. (laughs) Right. But it was basically saying like, you know, the aggressors were, were the, you know, the white slave owners or the people that Mm -hmm. was in power against, you know, the, the, the black community. And so it was so many things at the time it probably was the Black Panther of that time. You know what I mean? Right. So, so yeah, that was the historical significance to to the film. So it was kind of interesting looking more into it. Yeah, I mean, Black Panther that of that time, is, you know, Black Panther being like kind of a pop movie, this movie like really got into probably all the issues of the day. And I, I can imagine yeah. that it got people pretty riled up. Um, I I, it might have been like, I can't imagine like certain places probably wouldn't even have a viewing of it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like, like they if, if they're so afraid of like race rioting, I think that's something that they might have been afraid of. Are you familiar with uh, Jack Johnson, the boxer? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know who he is. Yeah. yeah, so the first black heavyweight champion boxer, there were certain cities that after he like won the championship, they would they would refuse to replay the the radio broadcast. They thought that like wow. it was going to be a race riot because of it. Yeah. So yeah, right. <laughs> I appreciate you giving me all this history and stuff. You know, it's it's funny because I'm you know I'm in, I'm a southerner mm-hmm. for sure like you are, but I'm a I'm Asian mm-hmm. and uh, and like I think that you know it's it's funny to be here on the the Negro League podcast. <laughs> exactly. It's like what, what what is it that I have to offer to your podcast here today? I found myself thinking about that, but mm-hmm. like we I, mean, I end up thinking about race stuff all the time, just Absolutely. growing up here in the South and things like that, and just seeing how. How it goes but um yeah. and i you know i i don't know everything that's in like the full like woke playbook but i i <laughs> you know I I got... <laughs> <laughs> but you know i 
I try to pay attention to stuff on the internet and Twitter and things like that. Speaking of like the woke stuff, like the the thing that's getting a bunch of attention right now is um, I don't know all the specifics, but that picture of that little high school kid uh, staring at the Native American. Oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hearing like there's conflicting sides of the story, but like, what have you heard about that? Right, right. So there's a. Uh, it's what was it? It was. Uh, it was an anti like a like a right to life march day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so there were a lot of conservative folks out mm-hmm. in dc and there were also um it was also an indigenous people's march mm-hmm. going on at the same time and um these two groups just clashed and you end up with a really viral looking video and uh image of you know like Teenagers wearing "Make America Great" hats, yeah. "Make America Great Again" hats, and uh, right in the face of uh, of an of an elder in the uh, First Nations, you know, and a veteran, from what I understand, absolutely a Vietnam veteran. Here's the thing that, that drives me crazy: is that I'm, I've been reading these other reports because I think the kid actually wrote a response, kind of like, "Hey, mm-hmm. I came here to defuse the situation," right? And his mom was basically like, "Well, the Black Lives Matter people, they were assholes," and you know. And my thing is this. I haven't seen all the footage because all I know is even at that little small speck of footage, because people mm-hmm. are saying like, oh, liberals want to paint him as this bad guy. All I know is that the footage I saw, I saw his classmates wearing the same hats mm-hmm. mocking mm-hmm. the Native American. And and it dawned on me. And it, you could and hear I, they were echoing the like the 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 call, the chant. Absolutely. The, oh. you, you know, like mocking the whole time doing doing the tomahawk chops and all, all this right. type of stuff. I saw that. So so here's my question. This is an interesting thing that I thought about you with with I, I got frustrated in the sense of, and I come from hip hop culture where mm-hmm. hip hop, the older you get, the the less value valuable you become. Okay, and some of that is changing right now because like you got like older hip hop artists that are like still viable, but but when I talk about like rock music and stuff like that, it's like you know the Beatles or Paul McCartney put a new album out. And like rock culture will support that. There's right. no such thing as oh you're over the hill, get the fuck out of here. But in, in I guess in Japanese culture, is there a respect of elders that you don't see in America or something that you see that's lacking in America? That's interesting. Yeah, I uh, you know being Japanese but growing up in Colombia is, is kind of a wild experience because you know I, I have to be the like the resource for yeah. what's going on in Japanese culture. Mm. But I've you know I've, I know West Colombia better than I know Tokyo. You yeah, know? and um, so like. As far as elders go, you know, taking it personally, it's uh, my, I only know, like, my immediate family. I don't have, like, a lot of interaction with, like, elders in the community Mm -hmm. and things like that. But actually, now that I say it, now that I say that, there are some elders in the community. There's some uh, older Japanese ladies who live in town here Mm -hmm. because they uh, they married American servicemen back in the day Mm -hmm. and uh, came and moved to America. And so there's this, like, secret club of uh, adorable Japanese grandmas <laughs> and they're all they're all kind of like helping each other out in the community mm-hmm. um, here and and yeah I guess you know you got to have respect for them yeah. you know they number one they you can just look at their lives and see that they did like an amazing thing like making this journey over to the the yeah. states not knowing anybody not knowing any language and making a life for themselves here that's and that's that's something that I think is really kind of like it's kind of changing now where I don't know what happened where, you know, I guess my family, they're the baby boomers. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's like collectively the country was like, all right, we survive Hitler. Um, we're going to come back and fuck. 
Mm-hmm. And and that's why like my my theory and I don't know I don't know how accurate this is it's just me assuming but I'm assuming like that's why like if you look at cars in the 1950s mm-hmm. the colors are so like you know uh, tropical like it's like oh you got light blue cars and this and this and it felt like the country was so carefree at that time and like a lot of the toys that came out that were like really popular in the 1950s was like hey the economy is so booming that kids can have their own kind of subculture now you know what I mean right. and it was something about baby boomers. That the older they got, they would get really frustrated at all the generations past that because it seems like we kind of like forgot about them. You know what I mean? And so then it's like the the bitter old people that are angry at the younger people because the young people have it so easy. And the old people can say, dude, we, we were 18. We were on Omaha Beach. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, what the fuck are you doing? And so like now I feel like, you know, as far as like the, the elder states person in the community is is totally different, and at the same time, I feel like in politics, I want young blood. You, right. you know what I mean? So right. it's like, so I, I'm kind of like tossed between, because like for the people that don't know, we're in Columbia, South Carolina. Like Bernie Sanders was here today, and there's talks that he might run again. And then today is the day that, that Kamala Harris says that she's running. Right. You know what I mean? Like how, I guess, how do you have that balance of being able to still have? the wisdom of the elder generation, but also had the foresight to get young people in there. Right, right. Bernie, um, I, I went to his town hall earlier today, and he said that uh, he was asked that question at the end of the, oh, the thing. Oh, he was really? like, are you running for president? And he had his, he had his answer. And he, he was, it was really uh, inspiring, actually. He said that, um, that like, since the 2016 election and probably before then, there's just been this huge surge of youth energy coming mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And there's so many younger people, new voices, all kinds of voices. Um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got mentioned Absolutely. a lot um, throughout the thing. And and he was basically saying that there is like a lot of this kind of young blood coming in on a lot of new energy. Mm-hmm. But he, he, and he also, so he opened up kind of the the, oppor- the opportunities for them by, by saying that. And then, but then he also slipped in his own thing and he said that like, I've got my own ideas here. And, but one of the strongest things is that, um, unlike a lot of other leaders, I believe that the power comes from the roots up. Mm. And so he said, he's okay. going to be touring the country and, uh, and check in the, the pulse yeah. and see, see if anybody's got energy for him. And then you got a standing ovation there. Yeah. Like, so he's indirectly saying, yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> right. right, Absolutely. But he's, he's, he's in his seventies as well though. Right. Like we, we don't think about how, how old these people are. It's mm-hmm. like, like Trump is in his seventies. Um, Bernie's in his seventies. Like Hillary is 70, mm-hmm. you know, not being ageist, but like, it's, right. it's, you know, Joe Biden, I mean, they look young as hell. Joe Biden was young as shit. He's right. Seventies as well. So, wow. I mean, and there was something that, uh, Fox news got attacked for, for having, uh, Ruth Ginsburg, they posted it up like she passed away today. Or oh yeah, like you know that. what I mean. But but even in saying that, she's in her late eighties, maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah, she, yeah she's she's up there. So uh, I don't know. Do you think? Do you I, think it's an age thing though? Like uh, you know, we, this came up because we were talking about the uh, the the MAGA kids. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think it's an age thing that they don't res- dis- they don't respect the old, the old veteran? <sighs> I don't know or if it's a, a race thing. You know what? It's, it's put it like this. Maybe it's a. It can be a combination, but not all. Right? Like right, it's, it's right. like it's like. In one way, we can say that it's an age thing, but they're wearing MAGA hats, so apparently they support Trump, who's seventy something years right. old. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that 
people will find ways to discredit stuff they don't fuck with. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So so it's like it's like it's like being in traffic and the nicest person in the world, as soon as somebody pull cut you off, mm-hmm. you're gonna look at whatever that person looks like and use it against them. Somebody right. can have one eye. You one eye, <laughs> motherfucker. You know what I mean? You know, you know, somebody can have a cast on, you know, that's why you can't drive, because you got right. one arm, you know? And I think people treat their their political leanings the same way, the same way we do sports. You know, like sure. you, you watch officiating in a game, any any call against your team, you know, is is like the the, the refs are are being paid anything mm. for your team. Well, mm-hmm. that's just the rules of the game, you know. So I, I don't know. Is that bias that everybody talks about? Exactly. Here's what I do. Here's what I do think though, and this is something that I think is really interesting. I saw this uh, this couple of quotes that I saw from this like HBO advertisement, like the Bill Maher show, and he said. Um, what what was Bill Maher's quote? He said, um, I can't remember what he said, but I remember this the second quote that D.L. Hughley said. He said, the difference between Trump and Obama, he said, Obama was what America aspired to be, mm-hmm. and Trump is what America is. Hmm. And, and I thought it was kind of an interesting take. And so when I thought about it more, when I look at, you know, the GOP versus the Democrats, as far as like looking at this past election, mm-hmm. um, I think, if there's one thing that I think the GOP are great at, if we're talking about like morals and ethics and stuff like that as a collective, I'm not going to you know make any mm. sweeping statements against anybody, but at, but as a collective, I think I think Republicans are great politicians, and I think that I say that because whatever their base is and whatever they they focus on, mm-hmm. they really don't care about being liked. You know what I mean? Like as long as, as huh. long as I have my people in my corner, I'm cool with that. And they're getting their goals accomplished. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so, so they they're used to not being popular. So that's why I think wow. when you look at young Republican guys, they're like really smug because they'd be like, you know, man, I can't say that I'm a young Republican without getting called a narc or right. without getting treated like I'm some like you know some kind of stiff or some kind of asshole. So they kind of embrace it. Yeah, they're hardened by it. Absolutely, right. yeah. Sure. And, and so, and the other end of that. That, that, that thinking about Bernie is that I felt that the Democrats dropped the ball in a sense of I remember the the DNC when Hillary was getting the nomination. Mm-hmm. The Bernie came up. Bernie didn't give a concession speech. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? Like like there were I saw probably more Bernie signs than Hillary signs, and this was right. like this is the rally that like Hillary gets the nomination. All I say to myself is, wow, if Bernie and Hillary were on the same ticket, I think it would have been a landslide. Huh. If it was if it if they would have said, yo, you know, Hillary president, Bernie VP, like I think I think that would have worked. Like, do you ever like have any thoughts like that? And he's very popular. You know, I like I politics is so wild to me. And I like I don't know, I've been my uh radio dial in my car, mm-hmm. I I have the the right three. I have six presets. Okay. The right three presets are set to right wing talk radio, uh-huh. and the left three presets are t- set to uh, like more left kind of leaning that, radio. And I listen a, a lot. Um, and I, I switch back and forth, and and you hear them play their ideas off of each other. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times you'll hear like you'll notice like one side will like be completely silent about an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that the other side will talk about, and you're like, okay, maybe I should pay attention to this issue a little bit, see what's mm-hmm. going on, see who's telling the truth, and I, I really enjoy that. So like, um, so, you know, I'm I'm kind of squirmy in the like I I have a hard time just like going all in on one. Well, I get I get a thing. better question, right? Is that and I and I agree with this is that I feel like 
people should listen to both ends of the the dial. I mean, if the very at very least to get to know what people that don't look like you and sound like you what they actually think. You know Absolutely. What I mean? So my Absolutely. thing, my question would be, as far as like. You know, I listen to Rachel Maddow on that one side. But okay. Who's, who's a Republican Rachel Maddow? Like, it doesn't have to be a woman. Like, is it Rush Limbaugh? Is he still out here <laughs> popping in the streets? Like, like, is he still here? Rush Limbaugh, he's he's still going. I I do. I I've listened to his show here and there because I th- I think he's like wildly. Um, they're just good at what they do. Absolutely. You know, yeah. like like you were saying, the Republican politicians are good politicians. Yeah. And. Uh, Rush Limbaugh is really good at getting sneaky ideas into people's heads, <laughs> right. and and so like I, I listen out for that, and uh, and I'll talk about like techniques that I see and things like that. Um, I just read uh, the Dilbert guy. Do you know the Dilbert guy, Scott? Wait, what's his name? Adams. The name sounds familiar. Who's that? What, what the that? the guy who writes. Okay, Dilbert. he does. He does yeah. the comic. Okay, okay. Yeah, he's okay. he's like a known pro Trump guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that until I bought and read his book. <laughs> <laughs> Make Dilbert great again. <laughs> but he, he always talks about how Trump is, he's really, really good at getting an idea across because he makes it, um, he'll like bring it down to one or two words mm-hmm. and he'll make it really visual. Mm-hmm. And you know, like every time you say it, you, you end up imagining something. You imagine like a wall when somebody says a wall or a wall. the wall. Ah. And it's, and he's just really good at getting in there. Like, you know, he's been, we've known him since the, what, apprentice days when he came up with you're fired. Right? Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious that like, you know, a president that like says he's focusing on the economy and jobs is most known for getting people out of their jobs, right. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you know what I mean? Like there's some there's some type of like irony to that. I don't I don't think that we we think about how crazy it is. The thing about it is, I really feel like this is unfortunately, I think this is like a sign of things to come in a sense of you know Obama wasn't a celebrity until after the presidency. I mean, when he was mm-hmm. running, he became the celebrity. Right. But but I think that we're falling down this hole of of the celebrity. And the the politician being kind of hand in hand, it's like yeah, we love our celebrities. Oh yeah, it's like people are like oh, I want Oprah to run. I was like no, <laughs> you know what I mean? like 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 I don't even like her channel. Like I, she can't run a network. Like more or less, like why do I think that just because she has a lot of money and that I know her, yeah, that, that that's worth voting for? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I've been reading this. Uh, this I read an old Dave Hickey essay where he talks about kind of basically celebrities and uh, artists. I know you talk about like artists who. Are problematic uh, on the show and like um he in the essay he talks about there's uh the social value that a celebrity has mm-hmm. or a social value that an artist has so somebody who's made like uh great great work gets a lot of attention and that attention gets translated into social value so it gets to the point where like people's uh-huh. paychecks are are bound up in talking about um, somebody like talking for or against a politician or for or against, you. um, you, uh, like, like a Kanye or somebody like yeah. that. And it gets to the point where you can't not talk about them. Yeah. Otherwise it'll hurt your bottom line. Cause all your competitors are talking about them. So their social wow. value goes up and like for normal people like you and me, mm-hmm. we have, um, social value, but we also have social virtue mm-hmm. and like the quality of our work raises the quality of our, raises the, our value and our stance in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like once you reach a certain level of celebrity, that value just like runs off, runs off and you, you have to talk about them, even if they're making terrible work at the time. So is it one of those things where they spell had this quote where he says, you, you, 
When as soon as you become famous, you can't become unfamous. Right. You can become infamous. Right. But you can't become unfamous. That's and maybe that's something that, like, as far as, like, <laughs> it's like certain celebrities, their social compass runs out of which direction to go into. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, um, you know, Kanye's, he's infamous now. Right. Where and, and, and not saying that he's not still creating doing art, but I say that in the sense of we talk more about anything he's doing in the political sphere more do we talk about his art now. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that that as an artist, maybe that should frustrate you a little bit. Maybe maybe he loves it. I don't know. Um, which is kind of interesting, like, talking about... And I'm going to tell you, like, one of my favorite rappers in the past few years was, was, was fucking Killer Mike. And he was mm-hmm. a pro-Bernie pro, uh, guy. Okay, and he right, was, right. And he, he was really, really huge. And he was one of the guys that um, got me interested in, in, in trying to do that little stint of trying to run politically, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and to me, my approach was, all right, I was kind of convinced to run for for city council, and my goal wasn't to win; it was to not lose. In the sense of, I want to be in a position where, if there's a demographic in this city of young black artists, hip hop culture, you got you can't ignore us. You mm. got to come talk to us in order, you know what I mean? Because people are real quick to call a black guy and show a face and be like, "Hey, we support you guys," but then when you really need stuff for the community, like they're not there, right. and, and and so. One of the things that Killer Mike was able to do, he was able to articulate um, things from a hip hop culture's perspective that affected us, people that look like the people that consume hip hop culture, right. and apply to the politics, which was great because a lot of people in hip hop culture, young black folks, were just basically like, man, I don't vote because I don't see a reason behind it. Right. You know, one of the things he said that was real cool, he said, and this put it in perspective for me, he said, he said, I don't care if you vote or not. But I care if you're registered to vote. Hmm. And he says, because if you're registered to vote, that means that you're going to do jury duty. And so he huh. applied it in the sense of, if we're talking about how the criminal system is very, very slanted to to not support black folks, right? then that basically means that it would do us some damn good to have people looking like us yeah, on yeah. those juries to be the peer absolutely to be the peers that are in the jury right and so and so like you know he wrote about that like after Trayvon Martin he's like there's no way I could have been on that jury mm-hmm. and Zimmerman could have gotten off you know what mm-hmm. I mean like so there's right. there's things like that where he basically wow he put it in perspective where I was like wow this something makes sense now like like now I'm kind of like well shit I want to get jury duty <laughs> you right. know what I mean like maybe I should be somebody that helped win these guys out and so. Um, it's not a surprise that he um, has a show, Trigger Warning, and I think we were talking about it briefly. Yeah, yesterday. I hadn't yeah. seen that show. No, I got a I got a text from a buddy yesterday that said like I'm on episode five, check it out now. And uh, it's really quick. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you, uh-huh. I'm gonna tell you, and I, and I'll be really interested to see what you think about it and bring you back again to talk about it. Like it's six episodes, and I don't know how I feel about it yet. And I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> I mean, I don't because I, I like I, you're still processing it. I love yeah. Killer Mike so much that that. I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt of what he's doing. And I'll mm-hmm. give you an example, right? So the first episode, um, he's like, hey, let me talk about the two episodes. The first episode, he was basically like, hey, um, I want to do all black economy for three days. So basically, I'm going to spend money in nothing but the black neighborhood. And, okay. and he showed the statistic about you know, how in 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 Asian communities, Latin communities, and white communities, how long the dollar lasts within the community right. it gets out, you know? Yeah. And and black folks, like, our money just leaves immediately. Yeah. And so, and so it was an interesting thing where he's basically like, oh, okay, well, you know, I want, you know, if, if 
I want to eat, I got to go to a, a black restaurant, but it's a little bit deeper than that. And he's like, well, right. if the food didn't come from a black farm, I can't eat it. So he's doing right. this whole thing. It's theatrics to it where he's like trying to, you know, show how lack of those things are in those communities. Um, but then there's a part where he's like at a strip club and there's an Asian stripper comes to him and he's like, hey, hey, uh-huh. darling, you're beautiful, blah, 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 blah. But for the next three days, my money's gonna be black, and you're not a black, you're not a black uh-huh. stripper. So get away, you know. <laughs> right. And so that's the. I'm sure that's good it. TV. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But there's something that ended up happening with these other episodes, right? Where are you familiar with Love and Hip Hop? No. What is Love and Hip Hop? Love and Hip Hop is a show that comes on VH1, where it started off as hip hop artists that are in relationships, and it was sort of like kind of like this love drama thing. Okay. And. And what frustrated me, because they call it quote-unquote reality TV, but it was this like scripted reality TV. And, mm, and, and, right. it's, and it's stuff that's kind of like, is really corny, it's really silly, it's these, these silly scripted, orchestrated things. And it drives me crazy, because the show kind of took that turn, where he would do some of these things, and, and, and let's not get it twisted, it's political satire. Right. But... Satire is very, We're talking about trigger warning. Trigger warning. Okay, yes. right. The, the the problem with satire to me is that if you don't know who the joke is on, mm-hmm. then it collapses. So for an example, there's an episode that's really popular right now where he basically is like, hey, you know, Hell's Angels, you can go on the websites or go on Amazon and buy a Hell's Angels t-shirt, and that mm. money goes back to their organization. They can do this. But the Crips don't have anything. Okay. So he creates this soda with these local Crips in Atlanta. It's called uh, uh, Cripacola or something like that, uh-huh. right? And then he does one of the Bloods called Blood Drop. And it's like, you know, and it was an interesting episode to the point where I was like, all right, well, I have a hip-hop art show coming up. I want to buy some of this soda all for right. the show, but you can't find it. So I'm kind of like, okay, maybe they didn't expect it to blow up. I don't uh-huh. know. But there was a scene where he has these gang members, and he's like, I'm going to take them to a black bank to ask for a loan. And then, like, like, hey, we ask for a $100,000 loan. And the guy's like, okay, do you guys have a business license? You have this, have that? Nah, we ain't got that. You know? Right. And it felt kind of exploitive in a way. You know what I mean? Like, it felt really kind of like, dude, I think that Killer Mike is very, very capable and mm-hmm. probably the most capable that he could have these conversations seriously with people. Mm-hmm. And the show would be just as compelling. You know what I'm saying? Like, like to me, I think like the idea of like what we're doing is like have one like you have the you have the ability to get these one on one conversations with these people at the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. The show can be that. It doesn't have to be a contrived reality for it to like be good. And there's certain parts of the show where it just like it just got really, really, really fucking cheesy with yeah me. it sounds cartoon cartoony I, yeah, with like I, some of some of that treatment yeah yeah and so so i'll be interested in seeing what you think of what you think about it yeah like, that's interesting and yeah. like the idea of uh you know killer mike is associated with bernie like you're saying mm-hmm. like you're saying and and so it's weird to say to go directly into like a capitalist conversation to Absolutely. say like you, you know how do you have this like the crib cola and the yeah, yeah. so that's that's wild <laughs> so yeah it's interesting like there's one of the episodes where he's basically talking about how it was called fuck fuck school and so he was basically trying to get people to learn a trade mm-hmm. he's real big about that okay you know um and i get it i understand it and so he's basically well people you know they don't know how to you know fix a fix a, a lamp or they don't know how to change a tire and all right. this type of shit so what's the best way to do it let's put it in a porno and so he basically uh created these three pornos right showing how to fix certain stuff and like the pornos had to like 
cover the spectrum. So you have a traditional man and woman porno. This guy is showing how to fix her drain in the kitchen while getting a blowjob from a woman. Mm. Then there's another level where it's just like a woman is showing how to fix a lamp while having sex with another woman. And then there's another guy showing how to fix a door with two guys having sex. And it was just, it was so cartoonish. It was just like, all right, this is what we're doing. You know, like you know a, what I mean? Yeah, like... I love the concept of uh, like a clever solution. Yeah, you know, like a Nathan for you kind yeah. of a thing. Um, that's yeah, that's. But I, funny. I I want you to see it. Like I don't, I don't like I said I still don't know how I feel about it yet. Right. You know what I mean? Is there is there any anything else you watched recently? What I watch? What I watch? Uh, I saw I saw the new Clint Eastwood movie, The, the Mule. Mule. Yeah. The Mule. Right, did you so, see that? No, not yet. No. Did you so, see? Oh, did you see? Um, uh, what was the one you did before that? The uh, with the Hmong people. Um. Uh, Gran Torino. <laughs> yes. All right. I hated Gran Torino. Okay. All right. I hate it. I don't remember much of it because it came out like 10 years ago. Yeah. But um, there was, it was so simplistic to the point it was kind of frustrating. Right. And it's, it's, you know, Clint is the the old get off my lawn guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I don't know. Yeah, like, he's how, the old get you... off my lawn guy. I learned more uh, like slurs watching that movie <laughs> than, I, than I had in my life um, growing up in the South. But like the... So that that movie, I I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was simplistic, um, but I thought it was weird. It seemed like kind of a like almost almost an activist move to bring in the, these Hmong people yeah, and mm-hmm. like tell about like their history mm-hmm. as immigrants in the in the country, and yeah. then and then have Clint Eastwood's character like come around to them. If you hated Gran Torino. Mm-hmm. You're gonna hate the mule. So is it is it, is, it, is, it, is it, <laughs> you remove Hmong people who have Mexicans? In kind world? kind of, but uh, what's cool about Clint Eastwood is he plays a completely different character mm-hmm. in this one. Um, it's I guess it's based on a true story yeah. about like an old an old white guy who had a clean driving record who was uh, drug mule for Mexican cartels. I think I heard about something like this from Rolling Stone years ago. So when I heard that he's doing it, I got excited. Yeah, now, and 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 Clint is one of those guys where. He's one of those guys you can't put into a box, right? Where right. it's just like, you know, Hollywood is traditionally liberal. Clint mm-hmm. is a Republican. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's not forget him talking to that chair. <laughs> right. I, you know, I never saw that. You never saw I, that? Yeah, I just saw, I just saw pictures and, like, commentary after the fact. But, it, like... It's pretty hilarious. Yeah. The, I Okay, so... But here's here's my, my kind of take on it is I really like Gran Torino and I really like The Mule mm-hmm. for um, at least one reason. And and that reason is like, I don't think that movie is for either of us. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think I think it's like, so it's, you know, the Gran Torino, the Clint Eastwood's character becomes like less racist over the course of the movie or so he, realize he, has, he, he realizes <laughs> he has like kind of a connection with people. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in The Mule, he meets a bunch of people along the road that are part of the American tapestry or whatever. Ah, He meets he meets some like uh, biker women, and and he Mm. has to like kind of deal with that. And he meets uh, who is he? He he meets some black people. Mm. He uses the word negroes as he's talking about them to them and they call him out and they say that's not cool and he's like okay well i've learned that and he's like he's pretty yeah he's pretty like easy going about like learning about new things so and in the way that like it was simplistic i think that this is like kind of a cartoony way for it's it's like for like old racists this movie (laughs) and it gives it gives them a path out of their like Uh, way of thinking you know i got you so So it's like if you go through this you can you you self can be healed. Yeah, much. that's hilarious. You too can get along with people of other colors. You know that's hilarious because you know the funny thing about it is that 
is that nowadays, I, like, if there's a movie I want to watch, I'm a, I'm just going to see it, right? Because I can't trust a, a film review. I mean, because mm-hmm. I write reviews too, but who the hell am I? Like, no one cares. So the reality right. was, I saw two reviews that looked at it totally opposite. There was one review where the mule got, like, one star. Okay. And there's another one, Peter Travers from Rolling Stones, they gave it three and a half. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they watched the same film, and they saw it two different ways. So, so for you to explain it that way, right. if I go in there thinking from that perspective then I think it'd be a lot easier to kind of digest. Yeah, absolutely. Clint historically has been kind of like a groundbreaker. So like during the, I guess in the 60s and 50s, sort of like we were talking about the silent films where Birth of a Nation, they didn't have black actors. They had white folks with black, you know, paint on their faces. Mm -hmm. Same thing happened with like any Westerns that had Native Americans. They would get white people right. to put paint on their face. Clint was one of the first people to get actual Native Americans in his films because he thought it was just silly. He was like, no, like there's plenty of like Native Americans that need jobs. Just give them a fucking job. Yeah. And and it was seen as this like revolutionary thing to him. It was just like, nah, let's just do this, you know. And so he has a relationship with like, you know, Morgan Freeman. He has a relationship <laughs> with Morgan Freeman. Like, I don't know why I love doing that yeah. <laughs> lately. <laughs> I'm working on this impersonation. But um, but nah, but like so, so He's also told the story of a lot of disenfranchised people as well. So, mm-hmm. so he's also a big jazz guy. He has like oh, one of okay. the, the largest personal jazz and blues collections. So wow. he's a very, very interesting dude that I just won't put him into one little box. I think that he comes from that generation that I don't think he served in the military. He might have, but he comes from that World War II generation. Right. You know what I'm saying? Where, the, you know, the, the bootstrap motherfuckers, you know, you know. Do it yourself. Well, I, th- I think he's doing good work, given uh, old, old racists a path yeah. out. <laughs> and that, you know, neither of those films are like woke by any means, but they, I really, I really enjoy them. Do you find it good. exhausting to be woke? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I said earlier that I, I, I don't like really pay attention to the playbook that much, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, you know, I. I think it's just good to be like kind of loving and smart about yeah. what you do. And if you do that, then you can have kind of weird ideas mm-hmm. and people will still listen to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, we're real deep into the show at this point, but I was thinking about Martin Luther King day. Mm-hmm. And um, do you know, do you know when um, Martin Luther King day was official in all 50 States? last year something it's, like that it's the year 2000 yeah it's, it's, it's the year 2000 <laughs> and do you know the last state that like made martin luther king day was it south carolina it was south carolina yeah. and do you know like what like the the basic deal was with making martin luther king day mm-hmm. official is um it was made official in the same bill that made confederate memorial day an official wow. holiday in the state and so like that feels pretty weird you know it's like that's sort of a a one for us one for y'all kind of thing for uh like the racist that put it in perspective uh, you know you know who else was kind of against or not kind of who was uh opposed to mlk day was um you know it was arizona senator uh john mccain mccain yeah huh this is that's so crazy yeah well okay so you know we have this in our state we we have to face it kind of we've got Mm -hmm. um MLK Day in January and uh, Confederate Memorial Day on in May, and I think you're talking about um, how do I feel being woke or is it? Mm-hmm. I think I think that um, maybe we should celebrate 
Confederate Memorial Day wow. a little a little more. Because um, I, I looked I looked it up a little bit, and do you know what? Uh, you know, I keep playing. Do you know yeah. with you? But like, do you know what day that Confederate Memorial Day memorializes? No, it's the surrender. <laughs> it's amazing. That's awesome. So okay. so <laughs> I think we should go all out for Confederate Memorial Day. I think we should have reenactments. I think we should have parades. I think we should have like you know somebody dressed as Robert E. Lee giving up a sword. Oh and like gosh. and like all the you know have people dressed up in gray and throwing their muskets down in front of an American flag or something Yo. and just like go crazy on Confederate well, Memorial Day. I well, think that would be amazing. Well, we have about five months to get ready. I think we could get ready for it. <laughs> i tell you something funny um, about Confederate Memorial Day. So I was working for this nonprofit, uh-huh. and it was, a, um, I guess it was a state-ran thing, so they have to celebrate, you know, state holidays and right. stuff like that. So here's what they would do. They Like, every May, they would do this thing where it's like, hey, you know, because my first year I was working there, they'd say, hey, uh, we got a retreat that we do. You know, we go out in Irmo by the lake, and we do all this cool shit, and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, and, you know, games and stuff like that. Then I realized... Not even thinking about it, I walked outside during one of our lunch breaks, and I see this airplane flying around uh-huh. that has like all this like you know Confederate stuff on there. Wow! And then it dawned on me. I was like, "Oh, this is Confederate Memorial Day." So the company has to be closed. Like the building that this company's oh. in has to be closed on Confederate Memorial right. Day, and so they won't. Uh, so instead of them like acknowledging that. They pretend like we're gonna have a retreat on this day. Right, it's an offsite day. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. So, I don't know. It it kind of irritated me a little bit more. Uh-huh. You, know, you know what I mean? It's kind of like okay, like like yeah. If y'all really wanted to do a retreat where you gave a, a shit about us, just give it on, <laughs> give it to us on a regular t- a random Tuesday that's right. not affiliated with the Civil War. So, <laughs> so I always always thought that was funny, and that's kind of how I found out about it. It's like seeing an airplane flying around. It's like a Confederate flag and some saying right. that was on it. So I was like, oh, this is this is why. Yeah, no, no, we need to have like. Uh, like a gracious losers day and like just teach you know teach the young people that it's important to to graciously lose um have, have you there's, watched... there, there's stories of like robert e lee talking after you know after surrendering mm-hmm. that he was like we need to kind of close the wounds of war as quickly as possible well, and he, he was opposed, really into he opposed confederate monuments more than anybody I've, I've, yeah, I've yeah, read some like of those. I've read like, some of those like, speeches. Nah, yeah. Like we got to close this shit down. Like you want to know something funny about Robert E. Lee? If you ever have a good few hours to watch something, and who the hell does? Mm-hmm. On Netflix, go and watch the Civil War. It came out like twenty years ago, but it's the one that Ken Burns did. Oh, okay. And I joke like hip hop culture is such a like protective black thing. But if there was any white guy that was going to do a hip hop documentary, Ken Burns. Ken Burns. Going, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so. This is how gangster this shit was, and this, and I didn't realize this. So, um, during the Civil War, and right when it's all like kind of like coming to a close, you have all these dead soldiers that need to be buried somewhere, mm-hmm. and so the Union Army basically says, "You know what? Fuck Robert Lee Lee. Let's put it in his front yard." So Arlington Cemetery is his house. Oh really? Yeah. So wow. basically, after the war was over, they're basically like, "Yeah, we're turning your house into a cemetery wow. <laughs> for wow. dead Union soldiers." Yeah. <laughs> and I think Robert E. Lee became like a, a professor or something like that at some type of Southern university, and kind of just like kind of quietly, kind of just chilled out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But but I I I, I tell you this because he knew when it was over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you this. I've stopped going to a restaurant around here 
Because I didn't think about it. And it's like, and, and and when I thought about it, I had seen this for years, but it was just one day where it just hit me. Um, they're not going to listen to this podcast. I went to yesterday's. I've been going to yesterday's for years. Okay. It's in five points. And it was just one day, I'm seated in this booth, and there's this huge fucking painting of Robert E. Lee above my head. And I was just like, Maybe wow. I should stop coming here. Right, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like, I don't even think it was quote unquote racist per se, because I, there's a lot of black folks that I know that go there, but it's right. just like, but I feel like that type of stuff is so ingrained in the South that we just don't even think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I felt when, before the flag was taken down, is that I worked on Main Street mm-hmm. right in front of the Confederate flag, and we didn't think twice just about it. saw it at every single event that happened Absolutely. on the State House grounds. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I do, you know, like, how you we were saying earlier that there's different strains of values that go through everything that's that's mm-hmm. going on. So like, you know, when people say that they uh, like are really into like somebody's valor or like they yeah, respect yeah, the general yeah. or something like yeah. that, I, I, I'll acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But then like, there's lots of other strains of thought that like, go <laughs> into, that are embedded in every single thing that we do, and and we should pay more attention to that. Somebody said sure. this to me. Somebody said this to me yesterday. This is after the um the the, the scoring of the movie. Um, we were talking about something, and this is kind of my my relationship with country music, right? So there's a show that's on Showtime called uh, Stories from the Tour Bus. Have you heard about this? I have. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Well, it's really this cool. is this is gonna be a, this is like a I like that this uh, common theme here. That's like no, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I haven't right? seen that yet. I don't know anything. <laughs> that should be the name yeah, of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, nah, I ain't seen this yet. I ain't seen it. <laughs> But like the, the the tour bus show is basically Mike Judge who did Beavis and Butthead and, and Silicon Valley, or right? Right. Where he basically uh, talks about musicians and interviews. Some of them are dead, but interviews people that know him and stuff like that. And he animates the interviews. So the first season was all outlaw country, and I watched okay. it, and it was really interesting, and it was kind of cool because I'm kind of from outside of that culture, right? And I think him being self aware, the second season was a funk artist. So he's just like, all right, maybe like you know, there's a demographic of people that's not going to listen to this because it's about country artists. Mm. And it was cool to me because there's a bunch of shit I didn't know about country artists, like because I don't I don't listen to them. But having this conversation, as a friend of mine who's a big country fan, and we'll talk back and forth about the episodes. Mm. He listens to a bunch of the country stuff, a white guy, and he's like, oh, you should listen to this. This is really cool. Blah 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 blah. And it's just like. Same way I feel about Leonard Skinner. Their fucking logo is a Confederate flag. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So it's kind of like, for me to be fans of them, it's just it's weird. And so my friend said this term to me yesterday, because we were talking, and I said, you know, as much as people try to tell me about cool country music, and it might be good, and blah, 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 like Johnny Cash might be cool or whatever, right. these country artists might not be racist, but these are the soundtracks that the racists listen to. And he huh. said this to me. He said, you suffer... From sonic PTSD, mm. he's like, yeah. he's like, because as soon as you hear that type of music, it associates with something kind of tragic right. to, to you and your, and it just blew my mind. And and like even now, like I'll be watching commercials, and it'll be like a local commercial. It'll be like you know country ass mm-hmm. white people talking about stuff. They could be selling like air conditions or or a restaurant. Come by here, and we got southern cooking food. And right. as soon as I hear that. It just makes me uncomfortable. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah it's like the PTSD. the deliverance banjo only means one thing. Exactly. Squeeze it. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so I thought and I that, thought about to, it. to have that happen culture wide mm-hmm. is I think yeah that's that's true and and people don't think about like the damage they're causing by the way that they they yep. say something or the way they portray something. And it's not just white music too because like my mom 
would talk about like she would have like she would go on these trips with my dad and they and it's her and my dad and this other couple they've known for years and they go you know North Carolina and stuff and like these guys you know these people are like in the sixties and seventies and so like the other guy from the other couple played like like all the soul music from the early sixties so you got like early mm-hmm. Motown stuff and doo wop stuff or whatever and my mom was like I hated that stuff and I'm like why yeah you know and she said because it reminds me of my childhood and my childhood was shit. And so, like, same thing. Sonic PTSD. Yeah, you, you, you yeah. know what I'm saying. So, so she, so, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to me that that it's not just for country music, but it just, but it really, really makes sense to me now. You know, so I don't know. And I, I think I think cool. we're becoming more and more sensitive to that, more and more aware of that. We're mm-hmm. like noticing that, like, the things that would just be totally fine in the mainstream culture is really harming somebody and like that's Absolutely. that's underrepresented or something like Absolutely. that. And so we see it in our media and there's there's a lot more attention to it, which I'm I'm grateful for. I think it's really cool. I mean it's like a lot of stuff hasn't aged very well. And when we think about like art that didn't age well, we think uh-huh. of like, oh, a hundred years ago, Birth of a Nation. But there's certain stuff that's not that old. Oh that yeah. Didn't no. age well. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like, you know, forty year old version came out in two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. And they had this whole scene about you know I know you're gay you right, you know what I mean and it right. goes on for like ten minutes I'm kind of like wow they couldn't do that now yeah you, no. you know what I mean or oh gosh what, what was all the 1980 movies and and all all the time if there was like an Asian character they were like kind of like the butt of these jokes and stuff like that yeah yeah like that's um yeah we we were talking about that because you know this past year was the year of Black Panther mm-hmm. came out mm-hmm. and amazing, you know, all black cast and mm-hmm. lots of representation and it was cool, like spy stuff and exactly. tribal war stuff. And then, um, and then like later on in the year, the, the Asian uh, Black Panther came out, yeah. which uh, <laughs> is what I've been calling crazy rich Asians. And that's another one that was celebrated for its, uh, for its representation and things like that. And you were, you were asking me about that recently. And, and I was like, well, I guess there's always been Asian people, mm-hmm. but in the eighties, you know, but we have, they were always like, kind of like, some kind of wacky sidekick, yeah. wacky sexless sidekick or something. A- you know? Absolutely sexless. It's like, and, yeah. <laughs> and and I I I you know I think I really uh, like took on that role as um, growing up in school and things like that. I was like pretty happy to be somebody else's, like pretty happy to be an a, an extra character in somebody else's movie. Wow. Mm-hmm. And um, and like. I don't, I don't know if I have a lot of pain from that or anything like that, but like I, I can see it tracing back. Yeah. And, um, and so, I mean, it freed me in some ways because I didn't have to worry about like being normal or, mm. or like signing up to any kind of like, like normal path or anything yeah. like that. And I could, I could sit and think about like everything that's going on and, and offer, <laughs> offer a wacky opinion here and there. I'm wondering, like, one of the things, like, I'm thinking about, like, the the Japanese and American relationship here. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting because, like, on top of that Civil War documentary um, that Ken Burns did, he did, a, he did another one on World War II. Okay. And there was an actual um, regiment based out of San Diego that were all Japanese soldiers. Right. And and it was, like, a, it was a fascinating part that was on there. And they like, were, like, it's, crazy... It's, like, Crazy, uh, decorated too. Right? Yeah, absolutely, like, absolutely. Yeah. And so, like you know, it, it, they talked about these situations that post World War II, and these guys are trying to find jobs. They're dealing with a racist, you know, country that doesn't want to hire them because they're Japanese. They're like, dude, like I, I fought. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm being lectured by guys that run this company that 
that didn't even serve. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I wonder, as far as like, that's kind of what that that Native American guy was facing absolutely. a little bit it, too. Like, it's like how do you, sort of outsider thing? It, it, how do you handle that? Like if 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 like because Captain America, right? Mm-hmm. In the nineteen forties. It was this thing where it was this acceptable racism, where it's basically like, hey, you know, um, even Looney Tunes had all these cartoons where they're like killing Hitler and blowing Hitler up. But there's another part of that where there were Captain American comics where he was fighting Japanese villains. Wow. And there was these these overly exaggerated racist illustrations. Sure, we've all seen those caricatures. Yeah. 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 And it's like... How do you, if you're a Japanese American growing up in this country, how the fuck do you put up with, like, what do you do with that? You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, I think that's that's a wild thing because, you know, the black experience is one thing in this country. Mm. Um, and the Asian experience has its own, like, set of issues. Mm. And one is uh, that, like, it's tossed around um, is, is the idea of being, like, a perpetual foreigner. Mm. Like, you're always asked where you're from. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm from, you know, across the river. Yeah. Here. <laughs> Grew up in Casey. Went, yeah. to, went to airport high school. <laughs> was a building named after another building. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's that, that's definitely a thing, like, growing up uh, Japanese and, and being seen as kind of an outsider. Um, and then I also, like, I studied... In Japan, I went. To, I mm-hmm. went to J- Japan and studied for a year there, and I lived with the host family and um, guy, worked on my language a little bit. I worked in. Uh, or I lived in in Kyoto, Japan, so okay. the ancient capital. Mm-hmm. The uh, host family I lived with was amazing. Like the host mother there was a like a beautiful cook who like just loved to like share like her home and stuff like that. And um, so we were sitting in the living room one day over at their house. And she like looked over at me because we were watching TV. She looked over at me. And she was like, "Shiggy, you know, if you sit really, really still, you look like a Japanese person. <laughs> but as soon as you start moving or doing anything, it's clear you're from another country." And I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. You know, the like culture is like embedded in even the way that I like move, um, and that that I've got this own like kind of unique identity in this world." It's it's interesting because like. I, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I know I'm going to butcher this, but it was something where when I was out there, I was in Fukuoka, uh-huh. and, and I went to Tokyo, and it was really interesting where someone was telling me about, um, it might be the Yakuza, where they were saying that there's a terminology um, in Japanese, it might have been the Yakuza, but, the, but essentially what he's explained to me was, it's not saying that I am this it's saying that you're not me. That, does that make sense? Like in what context? I'm, like, I'm, like, put it like, like this. It's, it's so if if it's, instead of me saying, it's kind of hard to explain it. But it's there is there is a huge thing in Japan about like what is the in group and what is the out group. Mm-hmm. Like if it's your family, that means one thing, and everybody's outside of your family is another thing. It, it, well, that's essentially and then how same it's same thing with the company yeah. and things like that. And what's what's strange? The strange like twist on it is that. If you're the out group, mm-hmm. you get treated very, very well. Like oh, it's really? important. To, it's important to treat the out person very, very well. So like, um, so it, a lot of folks they'll go to Japan as tourists, mm-hmm. and they'll say like, "Oh, everybody was so nice. It was amazing. It was great." And then a similar thing will happen with people who like move there, like mm-hmm. foreigners who end up who move there for work or something, and they'll say like, "Everybody was so nice to me," mm-hmm. and then they kept being nice to me, and then they didn't stop being nice to me, yeah. and. 
with the idea that like they never let me in. Ah. And they always kept me at arm's distance. They were always, mm-hmm. I was always the out group. Yeah. They were always crazy nice, yeah. crazy polite. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting like bit of texture to that, Japanese culture. I, you know what? That makes sense because when I went to one of these restaurants, because my friend, um, he's Japanese. And, and as soon as you go to the restaurant, it's Japanese. I told him, ironically enough, it was like, I told him, I say, hey, when I come here, I want to eat a bunch of stuff I've never had before. I right. want my experience to be non-American. My first meal was McDonald's. That was pretty funny, right? <laughs> but but he took me to his restaurant, and the first thing that the waitress did, she gave me like a menu. She said, like, "Oh, she gave me like an Americanized version mm-hmm. of the menu because she accidentally because I think accidentally I had a Japanese menu and she tried to take mm-hmm. it away from me. She said, "Oh no no no, you want one of these, right?" And she said, "This is for Japanese people." And I was like, "Well, that's what I want." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so, I want to see that. I'm yeah. here for the experience. Exactly, yeah. and, I, and I and and I've noticed that maybe some places in in America does that. It's like, is that do you have that experience, or do people come to um, your restaurant specifically for authentic Japanese cuisine? Right, right, yeah. Is there is Absolutely. there like a, is there there's not a differentiation of like okay, well this is something for an American palate. Uh, we don't know because okay, uh, we try to we try to have you know we focus on kind of more traditional stuff and we try to have a restaurant that it wouldn't be unusual to find it in Japan. Yeah. Um, so, like, so we, we really go for that. We don't have, like, the kind of double menu situation where, yeah. um, where you know, you can, get, you can get what's on the menu or you could get the real food. Yeah. And I think people, like, suspect that that's going on because people ask all the time when they come in, they say, like, what kind of things do you have that's off the menu? Yeah. And my response is, like, everything on our menu is it's, it's delicious. Yeah. You should go for that. <laughs> like, and it's, it's traditional. It's, it's what, you know, people would be looking for if they're used to Japanese food. It's interesting because, right, I remember um, in Kill Bill, the light is going down, but I remember mm-hmm. in Kill Bill, there was this part where Bill was talking about Superman. This is really interesting okay. distinction that he said. He said, we think that Superman is the costume. Right. That his Superman outfit is the costume. And that, you know, when he's dressed as Clark Kent, that's his real clothes. But I was like, nah, it's the opposite. He's like, you know, the Superman costume, he was born in that. Right. When he dresses at Clark, as Clark Kent, that's his interpretation of us. You know, he's like, oh, this is what I think you are. Right. And so, like, the concept of, like, a Chinese buffet, a lot of times I laugh because it's kind of like, I think that's Chinese culture saying, all right, this is our interpretation of you guys. This is what you, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, you're gluttons. <laughs> you're gluttons. You spend $10, you get all you can eat. Uh, and you go in there, and the people that work there, all they're eating is, like, rice. Or yeah. they're eating some lean stuff. Right, And so, right. like, you never see them eating the stuff that's... At the buffet, which is always like, ooh, you know what I mean? So so to me, it's kind of like, they're like, look. That's, this is amazing, Preach. You've unlocked, like, the reason why the word super is in so many Chinese buffets. <laughs> that's like, that is beautiful. Yo, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense, right? <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that's, I, I, I think that when you go to those places, they're like, yeah, this is how Americans are. Right. You know, because there's no other country that I've been to in Japan or in or, or or London or other places in Europe. The idea of two things. All you can eat is very American mm-hmm. and free refills. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, that's so true. Cause I I went to a um an American restaurant mm-hmm. in Japan mm-hmm. and they had, um, like, one of their features was that you could get a refill on your coffee. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because when I went to London, like, I had one of these meals, and I'm drinking, like, a, a you know, a Coke. 
and like I'm thirsty and I drank it. I'm waiting for it to be refilled. I was like, right. it's not it. coming. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want my American to show. You know right. what I mean? Like, so it was just something that I thought about. I was like, oh, this is this is something that's specifically to us. Because what you look like going to another country and and saying, oh, I want to pay a, a fee and eat as much as I can as, as uh-huh. much as I can bear. You know what I mean? Like just something <laughs> weird. And so like it's 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 interesting to see how. Chinese cultures with the buffets, how mm-hmm. they came to that conclusion. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? If we really want to make money, we need to kind of cater to the gluttony of, <laughs> of Americans. You know what I mean? It's just like, we don't care if it's not the best quality of stuff. Uh-huh. It's just that the idea of you can eat as much as you want is more important than how good it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Man, I love eating as much as I want. Yeah. <laughs> There's comedians that Americans don't eat till they get full, they eat till they get tired. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do love, you know, like, I, yeah, I love all the kind of cultural exchanges that happen and the way it's reflected back and forth like that. I think that, um, you know, I, I end up thinking a lot about cultural stuff and then cultural stuff, I think, also blends with uh, race stuff, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and, you know, because... You know, we, we're living as minorities in the in the country. We we end up thinking about it with a little more nuance yeah. than I think the like white America or the wider American culture uh, really thinks about yeah. it. The um, but what's cool about like I think that there's like between Asian cultures and Black cultures, there's a lot of mutual appreciation for Absolutely. a lot of what's going on. You absolutely, know? Like, yeah. You just say Dragon Ball Z and then like yeah. Wu Tang Clan. I mean, you know <laughs> right? Oh yeah, like, oh, absolutely. You know what yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean it's, it was. You know, you know what I think it, it was is that it was really kind of cool to embrace like kung fu flicks when I was growing up and stuff like that. Mm. And and like I said, my my one of my closest friends and DJ, like he was this Japanese cat from here, and we were real close. And we did music together. And I think it was easy because we were two disenfranchised. <laughs> groups of people sure. where where we felt out of place we didn't feel like we were the norm so it's kind of cool for that gravitation like matter yeah. of fact there was something that i worked on um this i love that because it doesn't have the it doesn't have the filter of the um like the kind of white interpretation yeah, in between absolutely it, you know? yeah yeah like, so it's like you know i i, I feel the same way about brown and black culture especially in hip-hop mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's that there's so many of those things kind of parallel where it, it it's 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 normal. It's normal for that gravitation to kind of happen. So so I feel like, you know, I don't think it's exactly like every other minority versus white folks, but in some regard, it's kinda how it is. Not a versus, but it's kinda like this. Somebody said this. They said, What is it like being, you know, black in America? And it's basically mm-hmm. like the simple explanation saying that going to school, learning European culture is the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And then, like, learning about black culture is an elective. Right, <laughs> you, you right. Know, you know yeah, what I'm that's saying? a special month in the year yeah, or whatever. You, you know right. what I mean? And, 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 that's, and that's kind of the experience where, where you know, I'm kind of conditioned that every time I go somewhere, I look for the other black people in the room. You know, sure. just just to know, right? You know what I mean? And it's it's like you know, it's it's like what what if I think it's a fire that's going to happen? We're going to get attacked, and I got to find another black person to save ourselves. It's nothing like right. that, but it's just like no. But you know, you have like a similar, you know, you have that connection mm-hmm. um, just because you you don't know you don't know the other black people's mm-hmm. culture necessarily, but mm-hmm. you know that you get treated a certain way by the by the majority, and so there that that can draw like black and brown people like yeah. you're saying for sure absolutely. yeah 
Yeah, and I, I think I think hip hop culture and like a lot of these subcultures, whether it's skateboard culture, whether it's comic book culture, I feel like it brought more cultures and races together in a shorter period of time than like any policy with civil rights movement. You know what I mean? Like anytime there's like, and I'm not saying there's anything against the civil rights movement. I'm talking about legislative legislatively mm-hmm. concerned. Because government takes fucking time, right? You, you know what I mean. It's it's like so so. It's essentially, but like art can get out there immediately. Yeah, absolutely, it can, absolutely. Like really so spark something exactly. So it's like so. It's kind of interesting to kind of see the progress that's made from an artistic perspective. Then I mean, because like you know, there's different cultures, black, brown, white cultures, and artists with artists and music and film that embrace the LGBTQ community quicker mm-hmm. than legislation has. So a lot of times, you know, <laughs> the government got to catch up with us. You right. know what I mean? Yep. And, you know what I mean? And I think that's kind of an interesting thing where it's just like, ah, you know, so we are kind of ahead of the curve with all this stuff. You know what I mean? And we right, don't think right. it because we look at government as being this 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 high horse until yeah. until recently, I think. Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, like, we have to lead, you know. Like, Absolutely. We, we lead the leaders or, and they're just... They're just trying to catch our votes. Yeah. Hopefully, you oh, know? gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think uh, I, I joke that when, when the Clemson team went to the White House and, and we have Big Macs on silver platters man, above a Lincoln painting was the most American photo I've ever right. seen. You know what the, I mean? The first photo I saw of that, mm-hmm. by the way, like the Lincoln portrait was doing a face palm. <laughs> and it was... I, I thought that that was real because it was the most subtle Photoshop job I'd ever seen. Um, I mean, the, but that's the hilarity of it is that something that subtle can be overlooked because the thing that we know is real is so exaggerated. Right. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's like you, it's hard to make fun of something that is that exaggerated because what joke can I say that's bigger than that? Right. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, it's sort of like, Somebody said this, you can't make fun of the military. Not saying that you would, but it's like when you look at those commercials, like back in the day, I remember there was one of those like Navy or one of those uh, Marine commercials where mm-hmm. this guy literally pulls out a sword, jumps in the ground and fights like a dragon mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. It's like, join the Marines. Right. And it's just like, well, shit, like how how can you recruit against that? Like, like, <laughs> like if you become a part of this, you're going to fucking... Cut a dragon, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like so it becomes one of those things where it's just like, well, it it has to stand on its own. You can't say anything because it did all the work for you. And people, I think people get excited about that shit. You know, I'm not saying I want to kill a dragon or nothing like that, but um, yeah, we've been talking for like an hour or so. All right, so you got some stuff that's out. Anything that we can market or promote? Yeah, or turn people onto. Yeah, let's see. Uh, so I'm a writer for a group called Frank Comics. We put out a, bo- a book called Ghost Box. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about if. Uh, if I if I get if I ever get tired being woke, um, <laughs> this is this is a book that has like all you know races and genders and um, and and but we don't put that kind of we don't talk about it a lot. It's just there visually. And, and to me, I like, think that's more important than anything else. Right. It's like there's nothing worse than people doing the right thing self righteously. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I don't want people being like, "Hey, look, there's a black." Here. Hey, he's yeah, you and it, it for us it represents a point that like we'd like to get to, like where where you know the the depictions might be seen as strange because we're used to seeing a certain complexion. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But like you know, the, we can we can we we get to be the creators, so we get to create you know whatever whatever vision we like there, and so we get to make our universe 
our universe is normal mm-hmm. can be different from this universe is Absolutely. normal. And so, that's, so that's what we try to go for. You can find website? us, uh, okay, uh frankcomics.net mm-hmm. is the website for that. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Shigeharu. That's S H I S H I G E H A R U. Go ahead and pause your uh, <laughs> podcast player right now and like send me a tweet. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, my, uh, my mom will be tweeting you in five. Okay. <laughs> uh, other than that, came on Japanese restaurant in Columbia, South Carolina. We try to do good, uh, awesome, good, honest Japanese food. And and I still want to do the show idea that I was telling you about the food show. So we're just trying to figure out these schedules and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I think I think that'd be really really fresh. It's Sounds funny that good. we're talking about um, different races and cultures. This is a great quote by Chris Rock where he said, "Baseball was integrated in 1947, but it didn't become equal until the 70s." And he said, "The reason huh. I say the 70s is because that's when you started to see shitty black baseball players." <laughs> and he's All like, right. yeah. "Yeah, he's yeah, like right. so true equality." is having the ability to suck just as much as white folks. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like, to me, you know, it's not about, you know, how big Black Panther can be. I want to be able to have the freedom to have a shitty black superhero movie mm. and it not affect anything. You know what I mean? Because, like, there's right. a level Where it does, of, It's not, like, an indictment against... Uh, yeah. I mean, because, against. because because there was this fear of Black Panther. Like, if we don't do these numbers, mm-hmm. we're not going to get this opportunity again. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, there was, that's a real fear. Right. You know what right. I mean? So there's this... So, so, there's a level of like marketing that's like, hey man, this is for the for the rights to see. You want to see a Black Panther too? Right. You want right. to see this? We so got to come out. It's like that uh, Killer Mike, where you you have to go and watch the absolutely the, the Black Run movie, and I and I um, failed, I guess, at, at not watching the Asian. Um, <laughs> Do you feel like you're crazy, crazy rich Asians? <laughs> like I, I need to go out and buy that DVD or Blu-ray right now. Um, oh, you're a failure. You're a failure <laughs> to your tribe. <laughs> Well, I guess, uh, you know, we spoke an hour and 10 minutes. I guess that's good enough. Yeah, you know? yeah. Thanks so much for having me on here. This is great. Thank you for having me. Uh, I really, uh, oh, thank yeah. Me. Thank definitely. you for being had. Or, no, okay. Thank you for being here. I guess happy that's to, what you're Happy to join you in the lab here. This has been excellent. Yeah, this is fun. I'm sorry. To, I, I was trying to be all cool and have, like, the sunlight, but now it's dark now. So, like, you know, I got to maneuver out of here. Um, I guess let's get some pizza or something like that. I did it. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah. Um, let me see what I got in here. Because, like, <laughs> I did these. Here's a cool thing for, for artists that's out there. <laughs> Anytime you do an event, you got to fill out a W nine for an event. More likely than not, they're not going to pay you the day of your show. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I got two shows. I should have a check. And they're like, it's in the mail, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we gonna get some budget pizza. Uh, once again, this is the Negro League podcast. I go by the name of Priest Jacobs. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, go to mobetasoul.bigcartel.com. Type in the code Negro. Save ten percent. We have new dad hats, um, denim dad hats. It's in there. Really, really freaking fresh. And I'm not saying that because I designed them. But um, thank you guys so much for listening. And we're gonna hear y'all. See y'all next week. Peace. All right. Thank you.